Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. So welcome to this week's episode of the Free and Fridays podcast. Uh, this week, I have a, a lovely guest with a fantastic personal story, which I'll leave her to share if she wants to. But um, Emma is uh, an entrepreneur, a business owner, um, is deeply immersed in most of the change work that clients want to experience. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of her insights. So Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pete. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. <laughs> You're welcome. You too. <laughs> Um, Emma, we normally start with a very broad and open question around freedom. So that's that's where I'll start. Mm-hmm. In the work that you do with the clients that you work with, what do you see people are seeking freedom from or to? Yeah, okay, great question. Uh, so the work that we do, um, just building on your intro there, is you know principally around change management, business transformation, and looking at businesses' operating models and figuring out what um, is missing or needs to be tweaked and changed from a um, organisation design perspective. And in in each of those, the golden thread that I see people seeking freedom from is capacity. Okay, Uh, they haven't got the capacity. They don't have the capacity. They want to change. They know they need to change. They see opportunity or they see uh, underperformance, they see waste, whatever it is that the issues that they see, I can still boil this down to we want to have more capacity in our in our in our work in our um, um, in our people, and um, that that is a really stark difference. That's what they want. But what I see is it's a hugely stark drift difference to where they are. Mm-hmm. And what I see in workplaces is the complete opposite of capacity, and that is overwhelm. Yeah. <laughs> Like the the level of overwhelm in work is just wild. Um, mm. uh, and so, yeah, I guess that's where I would start. Okay, great start. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions then. Because uh, sure. I'm similar and I see 
some of the symptoms of that too. When, when people refer to capacity, what, did, what do you think they mean? And what actually is capacity? know if they recognize that the capacity is the opportunity <laughs> um, okay. I think they see I, I typically have two types of clients I can boil them down to only two types they're either yep. a client that knows what the problem is what they want to do about it and they just either they either don't have the capacity within the organization themselves to do it or they don't have the specialist expertise so they're able to be really clear with me about the solve mm -hmm. um, and the need. The other example or type of client that we have is they know there is an issue, but they are just swimming in. <laughs> how do we fix it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and distilling the themes, let alone how to kind of get how to kind of step through and, and getting there. Mm. But the latter obviously takes a longer time for them to come to the realization that the opportunity is. Um, capacity. <laughs> yep. um, in the former, um, I, I, again, I would say that they don't necessarily lead with capacity. They're leading with um, probably more business metrics, right? The, whether it be financial, um, whether it be health and safety in terms of well-being, overwhelm, stress, employee turnover, <laughs> Um, yeah. underperformance, presenteeism, all of yeah. those other kind of people metrics that we see. Yeah. The usual suspects. I've, I've mentioned to many people, uh, and it's, it's maybe a sad indictment on all of the work that we do or work in general, that people are usually the, the cause of and the solution to most of the problems that we have. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in, in a capacity perspective, because where my head went when you mentioned capacity was, you know, a little bit like this glass. Yeah. There's a capacity within the glass. Yeah. And if this is 300 mil, whatever it is, mm. if you pour more than 300 mil of liquid into the glass, you're mm. going to be over full. And I wonder if what they mean by capacity is their version of the glass, which for me would be things like time energy, attention. Um, th there seems to be a lot of people trying to do too much with too, too little or being asked to do too much with too little. And I haven't got the time. There's always more work to be done at the end of the day. And I haven't got the energy at five o'clock that I have at 9 a.m. And I haven't got the attention because I'm going bombarded with 25 number one priorities. So my capacity from a time, energy and attention perspective is just restricted so i might i might have a 300 mil glass but i'm only pouring in 10. yes indeed and it, um i think it's quite a tricky conversation to have with a prospective client shall i say mm -hmm. um where they want to embark on a change because they need to improve, change, grow, whatever it might be. And my pitch to them is that you, you, you're not going to get freedom and capacity. Um, you're not going to fix your level of overwhelm by time management. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like there's, you have to apply um, 
a deeper systems thinking <laughs> um, and really go through a pretty comprehensive, well, this is the work that we do, right, design to be able to get into the, the roots of your operating model to see what parts, um, you know, we basically need to start, stop, keep, <laughs> yep. change, um, so that we're only working on five things instead of 15 things because that's when your freedom and your capacity and, um, improves and your overwhelm comes down. Or when it comes to, or they might be further along in the journey, we often come in with a client whereby they've embarked on a transformation, whatever it might be, and they, they're in it. They're really overwhelmed. They're totally burnt out. They're trying to run this transformation at the same time managing BAU, particularly if you're a, um, a manager and, and middle managers are even, you know, are the true tomatoes in the sandwich, right? Um, they, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought. They, um, the work that we need to do with them is, further on oh that's my train of thought that's all right that's all right um let, let me pick up another observation then i wonder the extent to which people say capacity is the issue yeah is that a space thing as in head space diary space and, and i think if that's part of it then the irony is i observe people then when they've got space they fill it anyway yeah they do. I mean, most people will think, oh, I've observed that most people think about capacity um, in a um, bit of a sort of whack-a-mole, right? So, you know, I fix it here, but it just pops up over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and fixing it by time management or... Um, is 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 shallow yeah <laughs> um to yeah. come back to what i was trying to get out before around the part way through perhaps a transformation or an agenda they're completely overwhelmed already in that they're in that what I, what we call the strategy execution piece yep. and they um the, um there's there's, there's an insufficient level of um, we're focused on the why we need to change mm -hmm. more than the what. So yeah. they've got a great big vision um, strategy, but they're having difficulty executing it mm -hmm. because they haven't focused or haven't built out sufficiently the detailed end state. Mm -hmm. So they're working on a change, but they're kind of building that. I think everyone's really familiar and overuses that expression. Let's build the plane while we're flying it. Yeah. <laughs> and we wonder why we don't have any capacity. Yeah. We wonder why we feel tied to our um, to our jobs and can't get home to our families. All yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hear it all the time. You know. You know, we've got to build the plane whilst doing BAU. Now, so question for you, then, in the work that you do, yeah. is it even feasible? Or is that just a turn of phrase that ignores the problem? Is it possible to fly the plane whilst we build the plane? One. And if it is possible, how do people do that? Uh, look, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I'll say yes, it is. The, I think in the sort of 10 or 15 years that I've been playing in this space, that probably only handful of businesses that I've seen succeed um, have done a step called change design or architecture before they go into planning mode. And change design and architecturing is more than just a scope. It's more than the strategy, but it very much goes into the detail, clarity, end state of the what. So that when it comes to your planning and your communicating and ultimately your execution and your adoption of, of it all, you are, you're very clear on what you're moving towards because you've, right. you've articulated it, right? And mm -hmm. you can't get lost in the ambiguity because you're working towards it. You might, you might not be um, enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> you might not want to move to that particular um, end point, but at least you know it. Mm -hmm. And there's um, freedom in knowing, <laughs> um, in having that level of clarity. Um, and that also inherently makes it, and it doesn't matter whether you're a leader or an employee in that scenario, right? You're either the leader that's guiding the organisation and your team through it. You're mm -hmm. an employee on the receiving end of it. Um, and, yeah, you might not like it, but at least you know. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and, the, and we talk about, well, what being more important than why, not to say that why isn't important. It absolutely is. Um, but what will get you further along <laughs> um, and be able to, um, I guess, juggle those tension points of, okay, I'm flying, I, I'm working a job at the moment that's um, an aeroplane with three wings, but I know that in the future I'm going to be working a job that's an aeroplane that's only got two wings mm -hmm. because I've got the level of detail and I know the steps and I know the tactics that... I'm going to take, and I know what the expectations of me are before I even need to get there. Right. Is that ever overwhelming? Um, nice little beep. Uh, is that overwhelming? Yeah. <laughs> is that because you mentioned at the start that what you what they say they want is capacity, but what you observe is overwhelm? Yes. Is that what the overwhelm is? Um, look, I think the overwhelm, I don't think I personally deduce all of the reasons why people feel overwhelmed. Yeah. I, 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 see, I see it as a consistent thread. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not working a transformation agenda, they might just be overwhelmed by the reality of the work, the work environment. Yeah, of life. Uh, life, pressures, um, living in a world that's circa 2022. Yeah. Um, so the, the thread of overwhelm is, um, is rife, but the reasons for that overwhelm, I think, are really many and varied. Okay. Are there any usual suspects in... Those reasons for overwhelm? <clears throat> oh, look, time is a big one. And that, um, 
that misalignment of expectation management, you know, like trying to do more with less. Um, I think um, certainly I've observed in people different mindsets will affect it as well. So if you've got a slightly more closed mindset or a particular way of working, you'll get yourself, you'll, you'll feel like the back, your back's against the wall faster than someone that's, um, you know, um, open to chance and opportunity and, and right. change. Yeah. And, and do you have counsel for anyone, a team or organisation that kind of gets the idea they have to, you know, balance, you know, ways of working, building the plane whilst still doing the business? Yeah. Do you have any counsel on what you've observed some of the better teams, how they go about balancing those things, knowing, and this would be my particular view, it's never necessarily in balance, but it's the toggling between that's consistent. So you might be over-indexing on BAU one month, but we're back to indexing a little bit on building the U-plane the next month and back and forth. It's that, that toggling. Any, any thoughts on that and any, anything you can share from the, some of the best clients you've worked with in terms of how they how do they balance those things? Yeah, I like that term toggling, um, and I, I, it resonates in that. Yeah, I've absolutely seen organisations and leaders be able to move between the two um, at different points. The I think there's something about having a the the, the businesses or the organisations that are seemingly better at it are people and organisations that have um, pretty firm boundaries. <laughs> okay. Could you share, I mean, without revealing any confidential, an, an example yeah. of that? Um, just about what people or organisations are willing to take on at certain points in, right. in, the, in the cycle or juncture. So that can apply at both a personal and a professional level, right? Um, at a professional level, it might be um, um, the ability, your adeptness with being able to delegate certain parts of your, your remit so that you've got um, different tension points, or it might be at more of an enterprise um, level, your the adeptness in being able to, you know, know where different programs and projects of work are at in their life cycle and knowing when you need, um, and having the wisdom of experience in being able to lean in where you need to, where you need to be really boots on ground, and then at other periods where you can delegate and step back. Yeah. On a personal level, um, um, boundaries around how you manage, um, you know, home and family life and how yeah. strict you are between work and home mm. on both sides, right? The, the ground rules you set up with your family, but also the ground rules you set up with your work family so you can get yeah. that, that coherence. But it's a constant dance, as you say. Or yeah, it is. I, I see a lot of people who... Um, probably for some of the right reasons and some of the wrong reasons, um, probably taking on too much. Yeah. Because they're asked to, they feel they have to. Yeah. Because I can't say no, because there'll be consequence. I'll lose status. I'll lose position. I'll lose something. Mm. And so they, they, they grow five mile wide shoulders <laughs> and they take on lots and, you know, 
we know yeah. the consequence of that you know trying yeah. to please everyone you please no one taking on too much nothing gets done Yes. And I don't know how much of it is an insecurity thing. I don't know how much of it is a people pleasing thing. I don't know how much of it is um, not having firm boundaries of self, yes. of family, of work, of home, of, you know, these are this idea of firm boundaries. Yes. Do you have yeah. a view on that? Yeah, I do. Um, well, I've got an experience on it, maybe more so than <laughs> <laughs> to get into my Emma the person rather than number eight consulting the business and the work that we do. So I started my business when I moved to Adelaide about four-ish years ago, but prior to that lived in Sydney um, and, you know, held a number of in-house roles um, working in, you know, the sort of large corporates. And I loved my life in Sydney. It was freaking awesome. But at a certain point in time, I knew that I had a really decent amount of, um, even though I really loved my life and my work, I got paid handsomely, um, you know, an enviable resume of um, companies that, you know, that I'd worked for. I somehow kind of had this like little moment where I was like, I'm still on a hamster wheel. It's a golden hamster wheel, but I'm on a hamster wheel. Yeah. And I had enough kind of, um, I guess, self-confidence to be able to go, I reckon I can get off this hamster wheel and tap out for a bit and still be able to be able to get up, get back on it at whatever point. Mm. And it's not going to railroad my life. <laughs> um, like it's not going to, you know, um, and I did. I, took, I, I stepped away from um, my life in Sydney, my work, um, um, went overseas for six months, came back to Australia, um, you know, serendipitously moved to Adelaide. That's a whole nother story. Yeah. And um, eventually kind of started the business. And the thing that I, I kind of quickly knew was that I could, um, what I'd learned and the experience that I'd held in Sydney um, didn't really exist in the marketplace here in South Australia. So I knew in due course, even though I was creating a business out of thin air and no networks, which is definitely one of the more stupidest things I've done in my life. <laughs> done heaps of stupid things. Um, that eventually as my network grew, my visibility grew, that I'd sort of bubble to the surface. And that's absolutely and exactly what's happened. Mm. The, um, in, that, in that journey, <laughs> um, what has happened is that I've, as I've grown a stronger sense of myself as an individual, what I do and don't like, what I do and don't stand for, um, what I will and won't do, you know, work setting, um, you know, the service offering we do, this, you know, like that's been a really, um, I'm just going to say organic process, even yeah. though I could have been quite strategic about it, I just kind of let it. Um, come to I've now got these amazing boundaries and sense of kind of clarity as a result of that that I never would have had had I never let if I you know if I was still back in corporate life I'm sure oh, of it interesting <clears throat> you mentioned you were on the and I like the expression the golden hamster wheel <laughs> um, what do you reckon at the time you were seeking freedom from to 
four years later, is it the same? Or have you recognized it's a, something different you were seeking freedom from, but you could only see it when you were detached from it? Yeah, um, when I, well, my decision-making process and frame of mind four and a half or five years ago was I'd worked my whole life and I'd worked really hard. Um, I, I was raised by parents that um, taught me to believe that hard work will get you, um, will get you yeah. where you need to go. Yep. And it was probably yep. only in the last maybe four or five years of my in-house um, career um, or chapter of my career yep. that I got the feedback enough times that I was like, oh, I need to pay attention to this, that actually it's not just about working hard, Emma. <laughs> um, and that was um, a bit of a slap in the face, actually. <laughs> right. Um because I'd probably got pretty far by working hard, mm. <laughs> um, much further than what I probably personally had an expectation of myself to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, taking a break from work was the kind of ultimate cornerstone of let's go and let's do this smarter. <laughs> yeah. Let's live, sm let, let's live life smarter and... Because yep. I'd worked really hard and for a very long time and I'd never done my, you know, year abroad when I was 20, as plenty of people do. I really needed to get that out of my system. Yeah. Um, when I got back to Australia and um, more recently, though, the um, my brain is... Can you repeat the question again? I know what I want to say. I just can't remember. How. Yeah, um, I was talking about, you mentioned that you found yourself on this golden hamster wheel. Yeah. It was well paid. You were kind of good at it, yep. but working hard. Yep. At the time, what did you think you were seeking freedom from to get off it? Yep. And four years later, is yep. it still the same freedom that you're seeking? Or has it changed because you're four years detached from the golden hamster wheel. Yeah. So what I was seeking freedom from originally was how to truly get away from hard work. I think if I'm really honest with myself, okay. like how to, how to work smarter, okay. right? Mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a really crude sense, it was yep. more than that, but like if I just kind of boil it down to brass tacks. Yeah, okay. Now, um, yeah, it's changed massively. I think that um, I very much embody living and working smart. Um, I really um, love my work life in that regards. The reality of running your own business is there's a whole, like, mountain of stress and pressures and challenges yeah. that no one gave me the tip off on. No. <laughs> My goodness. So, um, you know, I'm just in a completely different chapter, you know, yeah. exploring um, freedom in, um, and trying to get freedom in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I ask for a friend then? Because I know someone very well, very close to me, who uses hard work as, as his default of mm -hmm. trying to get out of almost every hole that he finds himself in. Right. Um, <laughs> what's involved in working smarter? 
about doing workings? Now? So do you have like a do you have a playbook or a, a you know a, a framework uh, rules to live by? You know, do you have some principles that you know Emma Fraser's principles around how she has found her way to working smarter, not necessarily harder? Yeah, I think there's some things that are probably automated, <laughs> um, okay. both at a business and a personal level. So, you know, I used to try and apply willpower to do exercise, whereas now it's scheduled in my diary, right? And I just go and I've never really thought about whether or not I should go or not. I just go. Right. Um, or, um, I don't know, I've simplified my wardrobe so I don't overly think about, you know, like there, there's lots of things that we make decisions on that yeah, we're not yeah. really conscious that we're making decisions on, yeah. but actually they just cloud and they add. Yeah, so which takes energy away from. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I've got an amazing assistant that feels very foreign to give admin tasks to and she has to still, and I've not mastered it, like she still, you know, I have a check-in meeting with her, you know, at least once a week and she's like, right, can I take this away from you and this away from you and this away from you? Right. Because I still can't, because I still feel that I can do them myself even if I've got time. She's like, no. That's not a good use of your time, though, even if you do have the time. Yeah. So that um, that notion of, like, trying to stay at the level of which you're trying to operate and anything mm -hmm. that's below that level then um, or above, whatever the kind of right ref frame is, yeah. um, that you're not doing that particular piece of work so you can stay focused on the bit that is actually most mm. bad for your buck. If I'm thinking about the client work that I do, you know, like I don't, um, I don't overly love um, managing people, but I was really lucky, really early in my, well, probably about midway through my, I'm going to say maybe about uh, maybe eight or ten years ago, I truly learnt the art of what it is to work as part of a team where the sum of the parts are way more powerful than yeah. the individual contributors. Yeah. And for anyone that's felt, had that experience, it is chef's kiss. It is yeah. so, There's so much joy and freedom that comes yeah, from that. And so if I think about the way that the, our business model works is when an client engages us, we will create a team specifically for that, that client. That's, and actually, that's how you and I met each other, Pete, when yeah, we were working on Boral, right? We create a team that's targeted and specific for the client. And um, when, I, when I do that, the, I'm, I'm really looking to work with people that are um, in their genius zone. Um, so all I need to do is put the work in front of them and get out of their way. Mm. Um, I've always, I've been really fortunate to be able to surround myself, I think nine times out of ten, with people that are way smarter or more experienced than me. <laughs> um, and so that so that I can stay out of their way and and that they can do the work that they can do but there mm. is there is power in that sum of the parts and coming together so mm. again like it's another example where I'm not not needing to manage something that I don't even find joy in doing and that is taking away from my energy and or is hard work right yeah <laughs> um yeah. 
yes yeah, yeah. so I've kind of I don't know got to go looking for them a little bit but there's a few examples so uh, again maybe a personal reflection on me then mm. about me is I have I find myself regularly getting stuck mm. And I don't know, probably a combination of all of the, is it ego, is it expertise, is it insecurity, is it comp- whatever it might be, that the client wants me. Yep. And I don't know to what extent, actually, is it me who wants the client so I don't allow space for anyone else because yep. I'm insecure, whatever it might be. Um, have you found that, you know, you, you get the client contact, you get the opportunity and they meet Emma for the first time. They go, Emma's awesome. Yeah. Or who's this? I don't want this Pete guy. I want Emma. Mm. So have you come across that? I'm assuming you have. Mm. And then how do you navigate that when either you do or you don't want to do the work, but you know, probably longer term, there's a boundary that needs to be in place that it can always be you. Yeah, I probably have always, oh, well, touch wood. Um, the... I don't think I've ever gone into a client scenario where I'm presenting the business as just me. Okay. Um, so I will always be presenting, yeah, again, touch wood, nine times out of ten, um, a group and a group of people that are working on a client's problem. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that will play out in maybe two or three ways. One is whereby I end up doing all of the work and, you know, if I've got the bandwidth too, then, you know, no problem, happy days. Um, uh, The the other scenario is whereby um, I'll be, I can see that there's particular packages of work that the client need that require particular level, particular subject matter experts. So I'm positioning a particular type of change consultant that might be around communications, might be around stakeholder engagement, they might have a, a bent around mergers and acquisitions or operating model design, whatever it may be. So I'll put that person front and centre mm-hmm. on that particular um that particular um, part of the project that we're working on. Um, And then maybe the third scenario is um, I'll position myself as the engagement manager. So I still still own and manage and run the relationship with the client, own and manage and run the team, but the team are doing the work. Right. I've got a long way to go. <laughs> Trial and error. Like, sound, I should possibly sound more confident in all of that than what I actually am. <laughs> um, well, one thing I'm interested in, if you would share your view, um, it's often quoted, and, and I think it's quoted erroneously, mm. and it seems to be quoted by the change firms where 70% of change efforts fail. Yeah. Right? I don't know where that figure comes from. I've done a bit of research <laughs> and no one can seem to point to it. It's kind of like, out of thin air because it means you have to engage another change from to the work because 70% are going to fail. Um, two questions. Is it true? Mm. And does it matter if it's 70% or 62? Does it, you know, is it true? Does it matter? And mm. secondly, to make it work, then if someone's going to engage in transformation, 
what are some non-negotiable things that have to happen to give them at least a chance of success? Um, okay. Yes, it's true. Right. It could be 60, could be 95. Um, but yeah, I've seen enough client examples to where they're running, you know, multiple changes or programs and they're just not getting through. Right. Um, they, um, they're just not, um, I think, Probably what is what is skewed is that it's not complete failure. Yeah. Um, it's that if we use the seventy percent, is it's that you haven't got your complete return on investment. <clears throat> that was expected. That was expected. You. So I think it would be what I've observed is that really smart, experienced um, other transformational leaders or consultants um, have a strategy and have a mandate and have a scope, but they know full very well that it would be Pollyanna-ish to think of, of them to think that that would go in as an exact like for like <laughs> um, as it was originally intended. So there's a level of... Um, you know, incompleteness, fudge factor, taking, and so it, it, it takes more time. It's not the perfect, it's not an exact replica of what we said we do in terms of the solution. It costs a bit more. Like, I don't see that as failure, by the way. Like, it, you know, mm. if, you're, if your goal of your organisation is to introduce robotics technology, and at the end of the day, you introduce that robotics technology, but it takes you a year longer and costs you an extra $150 million. You've still got it in. It takes yeah. you longer to get your ROI back than what the what your accountant said it would, but yeah. it's still in. You're still operating that tech, right? Mm -hmm. So that I think is a bit kind of, um, you know, it's it's a loose, it's a, it's a headline stat, but it's important to read yeah. around the detail. Yeah. Um, Cognitive candy. <laughs> totally. I prefer, uh, I was thinking earlier today around, you know, like, gosh, social media has been um, good for um, pithy one-liners and memes. <laughs> I was like, you know, I like them, but I actually really like a, a good analogy more than I, um, to get my point yeah. across than a good yeah. um, quote, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> Um, what was the second half? Yeah, so the second part of that question is, okay, so it's true, right? Most change efforts don't realise the benefits that they could have realised at the start line. Um, yeah. So if they want to realise more of those benefits, yeah. what are some non-negotiables in your experience? And I'd be interested if you could split it into kind of overt non-negotiables. You've got to have this in place. You've got to have this as a minimum standard. But you know what, as you get into it, once you cross the start line, you've got to have these covert things in place as well. Otherwise, you stand no chance of getting any return. Are there kind of two or three usual suspects, main principles, big rocks that sit in that space? Of You've got to have these three things in place covertly and a watch out for these two things. Yeah, I think probably the really big overt one um, that I would call out is... You really need to have clarity of what your end state is. 
And that is more than just a vision and a, or, a, or a problem statement or your, right. or your why. Yep. <laughs> um, you can only capture the hearts and minds of people um, based on concept before they need the detail. And you will, you will possibly do more harm than good if you stay in concept for yep. too long <laughs> before, without pulling them through and explaining right. what, knowing and being able to explain what the detail is. Right. And is that mistake you observe people make is that they stay too high, they stay too much in concept? Yeah, they it's stay just a bit too, too grey. Yeah, and how you know how a, how an internal change practitioner or a, an astute business leader will know that they don't have enough detail is that you won't be able to articulate the impact to people. Right. You just can't do it if you haven't if you don't know where you're heading. Um, or if that's only in concept, then it's really hard to then be able to um, understand what the impact is. And if you don't understand what the impact is, then you can't figure out what the tactics are that you need to give yeah. to um, an enterprise, a function, a team, an individual in order for them to change. So it's kind of like a, and I forgive the phrase here, it's kind of like a good gotcha question, question isn't it? with your stakeholders you know if you ask that question and depending on how they articulate it yep. it gives you a good sense of are, are we actually do we have clarity here yeah yeah beyond the dream state of revenue number and ebit mm. number that's right you can have a scope you can have a business case you can um you know you can have your your modeling but that is not that is not an end state. <laughs> that is not clarity to the extent that the people that are ultimately impacted by it and that you want them to do something differently <laughs> yeah. um, that we're talking about here. They don't care okay. about the return on investment. They just care about what you want me to do differently. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Any other big rocks? I think the other one that I um, look, there's heaps, yeah. but probably the other one that I often find myself talking to clients, current or prospective, about is this it's a really simple um, framework or model that goes northeast, southwest. It's got mm -hmm. four quadrants to it. And it, it, it applies to, you know, changes that are radical in nature where you have um, change at a group level but also at an individual level <clears throat> then you know that there is change that is both tangible and intangible mm -hmm. so if you kind of break down those four quadrants the, there's one quadrant that these are the individual and intangible level in terms of how they're being impacted by change okay and that um, that is really people's um, uh, EQ. Um, I would also put in there that is um, um, people's adult levels of maturity where a person might sit on a curve. Yeah. We know that exists, but we can't see it. <laughs> Could you explain that? Because I'm sure anyone listening, I mean, you're not dealing with adults all the time. And, and I think I know what you mean by that. Yes. But could you maybe just explain what you mean by adult maturity? 
Um, I wish I kind of had the, the reference in front of me, but the basic, um, the basic notion of it is that, yes, we're all adults, but we actually have different levels of maturity in terms of um, probably in, I'll say, our emotional state. So some of us might have high levels of um, emotional intelligence, mm. self-awareness, um, resilience. Um, there's, I don't know, probably a myriad of factors that, um, of which people can handle. So if you come across an adult that has a low level of maturity, their ability, they'll, they'll, lose, they'll be able to lose, you'll know because they lose their temper, temper really easily or they, can, yeah. they can't control themselves. Someone that has a yeah. high level of maturity is able to control their emotional state yeah. um, to a much higher degree. So that, that's what I mean by that. Okay. Um, but then there's also the tangible side of an individual which we can see, which is our behaviours, and we can measure those things. And there's yeah. lots of, um, you know, work and means and um, tools that we can apply to be able to, to move that. Then at a group level, both tangible and intangible, tangible is the processes, the strategies, the all of the visible things that we do to, to wrap around how to move, move a whole business and the people within it through change. On the intangible side, I don't know, I largely call it culture, but what's included in, in the intangible side at a group level is um, norms, power and politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we know they exist, but we can't see them. Yeah. Um, and so when I look at businesses that are wanting to move an organisation, a whole organisation through change, they're really focused on the tangible side yeah. and have very low regard for the fact that there's anything going on in the intangible side, yet the reality is it's the intangible side that actually blocks the change. <laughs> The, um, what is it? The elephant and the rider. The rider cannot, is the tangible side, <laughs> cannot, an 80 kilogram human cannot move an eight ton elephant yeah. <laughs> by force, yeah. but it can by yeah. motivation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the example used in, I think it's called the happiness hypothesis. around change that you know our conscious mind is the rider of the elephant and got a little stick and we tap the elephant's ear and on the left and it goes left if the elephant wants to ultimately yeah but the unconscious are you know intangible side if it fancies going right and you've tapped left it'll go right yeah yeah (laughs) no matter what the little rider does so yeah so it's a good analogy so in my experience around change has been you've got to appeal to both indeed you've got to appeal to the rider and the and the elephant Indeed. And uh, like you've got to appeal, yeah, you've got to appeal to or you've got to be, you've got to have a level of awareness that all of the strategies and planning in the world will only get you so far. Yeah. Um, that working on, you know, in the, um, spending time and or money, whatever it is, thinking about and working on what are the intangible sides that are both an individual and a group level to be able to move you know, an organisation and people through change mm. um, is part of the equation. Yeah. Um, and so how you, how you choose to um, um, 
structure that change, um, the people that you um, put in it to um, facilitate and or drive and or sponsor and or govern it um, become really important topics to um, to get right and to change when they're not working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Just tap it out and change it. Like, it's fine. Like, yeah. um, apply agile thinking and, and iterative, um, you know, learning and um, until it does get right. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm, I'm conscious of um, your bandwidth because I know you're in the middle of a, a house move. <laughs> Um, so maybe just a couple of more questions for me, then we'll, we'll pause. Yep. Um, for, for people that are interested in the sort of change, the transformation space, how do they get hold of you? Yeah, good question. You can find a, you can find us, me, we, um, through our website, uh, NO8, the number, consulting.com, short yep. for number eight consulting. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. My name's Emma Fraser. Um, With a Z. With a Z, E double M A F R A Z E R. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. And we'll put these, all these things in the show notes too. Perfect. Sounds great. Um, a couple of quick fire questions then. I'm going to try and make it house related. Sure. Um, are you the sort of person that packs your own stuff up or do you outsource that? I pack my own stuff up. <laughs> are you the sort of person that takes everything with you and sorts it out when you get there or do you? Go through the sorting out before you leave. I sorted out before I leave. 100%. I'm and, <laughs> and I'm guessing you've moved a few times. How many boxes do you carry around from house to house without even opening them? My laundry's full of boxes that are um, ready to go from four and a half years ago. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you haven't opened them yet. Yeah, they're, they're just books. And I don't own a bookshelf. So unlike your beautiful backdrop there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the house that you're going to, without revealing any confidence or addresses or anything like that, what's the feeling you get when you think about it? Um, the feeling that I get is it looks more impressive than I think it's, it's very impressive. And I think that that might be a bit misleading for people and that I'm perhaps a little bit more adult um, and capable than what I necessarily see in myself. <laughs> well, as we know, Emma, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Emma, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Um, thank you for some of the insights you've shared. Thank you for sharing some of yourself and some of those changes that you've made. Um, I really appreciate your vulnerability there. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. You're welcome. <laughs>